Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Bible study at Hillside Baptist Church. Our lesson today is the Great Commandment. Remember, we started this last week. We'll have uh, four different messages on this particular subject. A very important subject in the Scriptures, I believe. This is Lesson 2. And it's entitled, Loving God. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be reading verses 34 through 40. So if you've got your Bibles, and you should have received our outline uh, for this particular Bible study yesterday. So Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for our time together that we can study your word. We pray that soon things will be opened up and we'll be able to meet again at the church and not have to worry about demonstrations and gas prices and even food prices and medical supplies and all of those things. And Father, for those that are hurting because of these things, we pray for them this morning. And we pray that your blessings would be upon our Bible study. Help us that we might be able to see things as you see them and that we might be able to live our lives according to what you would have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember last week we talked about taking the great commandment literally. That's one of the things that we should be doing. Do you ever think about all the things you do in a given day? Think for a moment about the task, routine and not so routine, that you accomplish each day, beginning with the moment that you get out of bed. I read recently where the average person thinks over 50,000 thoughts and accomplished hundreds of tasks some minor, some major, every single day. It makes me tired just thinking about it. Thank the Lord that we don't have to consciously think about everything we do each day. For instance, you don't have to consciously think about brushing your teeth, do you? Or taking a shower or eating. When you brush your teeth, 
You don't say to yourself, okay, now up, down, up, down, up, down. Now let's do the back teeth. Now the side. No, you don't do that. You do it without thinking about it, don't you? Sometimes we don't even think about when we're driving. Did you ever get way down the road and suddenly ask yourself, how in the world did I get here? You were thinking about other things. But you sure were not consciously thinking about your location minute by minute, were you? Your brain was kind of on autopilot. Sometimes we don't go where we want to go. <laughs> and indeed, we find ourselves someplace we didn't expect to find ourselves, and you have to turn around and go back. On the spiritual plane, deep down inside, there is a guiding force driving your life. It's what drives your spiritual life when you're spiritually on autopilot. Times when you're not consciously thinking about your walk with the Lord. What is it that drives you? What makes you tick? Churches have these driving forces as well. For some churches, it's tradition. With others, it's finances. With still others, it's programs or personalities or the building they meet in. One of the key guiding forces that should define and guide Hillside Baptist Church is found in our text this morning. Let's look at the context of this passage, verses 37 through 39. These are what are often referred to as the great commandment. This passage takes place very close to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. In fact, Bible scholars place it on the Tuesday of Passover week, or Passion Week as it's called, just before his death. So if this is correct, these are some of Jesus' last teachings on earth. The entire chapter, Matthew 22, reveals an attempt by the Jewish authorities to destroy Jesus' credibility before the crowd by making him a series of difficult questions to answer designed to trip him up and either make him look bad or put him on one side or the other of the great debates of the day, dividing the people over Jesus. But Jesus the all-wise Son of God, handled these questions proficiently and wisely. In foiling the Pharisees the Sa uh, and the Sadducees' plots as they attempted to trip him up. Verses 34 and 35 tell us that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced their opposition, the Sadducees, by his teaching, they put forth one of their own to try his luck at tripping Jesus up. They chose a lawyer who, though the Pharisees used him as a pawn in their attack on Jesus, was actually earnestly and respectfully asking Jesus these questions. 
First, Mark tells us that the lawyer was present when he heard Jesus' debate with the Sadducees. And Mark tells us that he perceived that Jesus answered them well in verse 28. Second, at the conclusion of his discussion with Christ, Jesus said to the man, you're not far from the kingdom of God, verse 34. Now back in verse 36 in our text in Matthew, the lawyer posed his question to Jesus and he asked, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? This was not a new question, for the scribes had been debating this particular thing for centuries. They had documented 613 commands in God's law, 248 positive, 365 negative. No person could ever hope to know and fully obey all these commandments. So, to make it easier, the experts had divided the commandments into heavy, that is, important commands, and light, meaning unimportant commands. A person could major on the heavy ones and not worry too much about the light ones or trivial ones, we might say. The fallacy of this approach is obvious. You need only break one law, heavy or light, to be guilty before God. For James tells us, for whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. James 2.10. The lawyer asked one question, but Jesus actually gave two answers. First, he quoted what is known as the Shema. We talked about this last week which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, which was recited daily by every Orthodox Jew. Webster's New World Dictionary defines the word Shema as a declaration of the basic principles of Jewish belief proclaiming the absolute unity of God. Here is what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, or the Shema, says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then, second, James quotes the second part, or I'm sorry, Jesus Jesus quotes the second part of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and puts it second only to the Shema. The entire verse goes, Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community. And here's the part that Jesus quoted. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. This says Jesus is to be supreme, he is our great commander. He gives the commandment and our guiding forces in our Christian lives. Jesus took all the commandments of the Old Testament, all 613 of them, and distilled them into one 
two-part command known as the Great Commandment. In other words, everything else in the Christian life is either subservient to this command, for Jesus said this was the law and the prophets, or is part of what all the law and the prophets depend on. You see, it's these two commands, Jesus said, that all the law depended on. Everything you need to do to obey God can be wrapped up in this commandment. This is what it all boils down to. To love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole duty of mankind, wrapped up in two commandments spanning a mere three verses in the Scriptures. How many of us have really been taught this and had it emphasized in our churches? If this is the greatest commandment of the Christian and by extension to the church, then I think we'd better pay attention to see what it commands what it says, what it means. Our vision for Hillside Baptist Church and for each of us individually has been the command that Jesus has given here. The driving force of the Christian life. If you want to distill the purpose and function of each of us personally, Everyone on earth, in fact, and our churches cooperatively, you would wrap it up in this little phrase, to love God and people. Isn't that what this passage is teaching? The purpose of our church is to love God and people. Your purpose on earth can be summarized very simply as the same, to love God and people. When you start a job, you're given a job description, usually, right? Hopefully. <laughs> this is the job description for the Christian to love God and people. Here, the job description for Hillside Baptist Church to love God and people. If you ask what your job is, you should instantly be able to respond to love God and people. What is your job in the Christian life? You get it, don't you? To love God and people. What is the number one job of Hillside Baptist Church? To love God and people. Now, it's very easy to say that. But what does it really mean? That's the hardest part, isn't it? If it's an all-inclusive command then it covers a lot of territory. So this week and the next couple of weeks, we're looking at what this means in detail. My outline this morning is simple. Point one, love God. Point two, love people. Now tell me again what your job description is at Hillside Baptist Church. To love God and people. What should be the purpose and the driving force of our church? The same thing. To love God and people. Let's begin 
by looking at the first part of the commandment, loving God. Jesus begins by saying in verse 37, Love the Lord your God. Christian, Christ was commanding here a pointed description of what he is trying to get us to understand. He is saying you, in other words, you is understood. It's not there. It says love God and uh, God, uh, Lord, love the Lord your God. I'll say it in a minute. Love the Lord your God. But the you is understood, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus was not giving a general teaching. He meant it to be applied personally. Whenever God gives a command in His Word, He tends to think this applies to this individual, this group of people. Or when we hear the preacher preach, we often think, man, His words, His word applies to so-and-so. Or when we hear the preacher say certain things, we'll say, man, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this. Boy, he really needs this, or she really needs this. But if we're going to get what Jesus is saying here, we have to stop looking at the specks in our brother's eye, or sister's eye, and start looking at the beam in our own eyes. Jesus, knowing our tendency to generalize the commands, is very penetrating as he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your embracing love. I'm not talking about your neighbor or your brother or your mother or your spouse. I'm talking to you. Can we see that that's what Jesus is saying? When I was a child, we used to sing the African-American spiritual. It's me, O Lord. Any of you sung that? No one told me that it was an African-American spiritual, but it was. And it was pretty peppy. A song that we all liked. It went like this. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father, but it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I think most of you have sung that. And as we study the great commandment, we need to think like that. It's me. It's me that needs to hear this. It's me that needs to understand the great commandment. Our congregation needs to understand it, but it's me in particular in my congregation that needs to hear it. Ask yourself, do I love my God the way Jesus commanded me to love my God? If the answer to that question is no, 
then we should ask the next question. What am I going to do about it? And then do it. Now let's look at the second word that Jesus gave in the great commandment. Love. You was the first one, remember? And then he says, love. Love the Lord your God. This reminds us that Jesus' instruction were a command. This is self-evident. I know that the call of the great commandment is not because it's commanded necessarily, but because of what is commanded. Commanded. God commands us to love Him with an all-embracing kind of love. That brings us to the question, is love a feeling or an action? This may sound like a weird question, but it has tremendous ramifications for our love relationships. You see, if love is a feeling, and if that's all it is, it can't be commanded. Yet you see, God commanded love for Him in the Shema that we talked about. And we find that in the three of the four Gospels recorded that Jesus repeated the command, including here in our text in verse 39, we're commanded to love our, uh, our God and our neighbors. In other pla places in the scriptures, husbands are commanded to love their wives, wives to love their husbands. And we're even commanded to love our enemies. But here's the problem. You cannot command an emotion. For instance, you cannot command somebody to be angry. <laughs> You cannot command your child, you go to your room right now and be happy. <laughs> you can't command those things. You can't say, I command you to be excited about your job. You can say that to an employee and you can say, well, I command you to be excited about your job or you're fired. Well, <laughs> I don't think they're going to get excited except maybe because they might get fired huh you can command somebody to act you can't command somebody to act as if they're angry or they're happy or they're sad you see this is an emotion it comes from who they are their makeup but you can't command an emotion itself. In other words, you can command behavior, but an emotion, it just isn't something you can command. Most of us think that love is an emotion. There's no doubt that there is an emotional element to love, but true love is not merely an emotion, but a condition that can be actuated by a decision of the will. That's why we are commanded to love God and people. Writer and counselor Alex Thomas says that 
when he worked as an addiction counselor for a number of years, people tried to manipulate him. They were often angry with him. They swore at him. They threatened to kill him. One or two pointed a gun at him. Many of them were downright miserable. He said, I don't like some of them. It was hard to feel affection for them. I did not feel lovingly toward them, but I tried to act in love. I wanted the best for them. I wanted them to grow in understanding of themselves and their addictive behavior. I wanted them to be free from their addiction. That was to me what love is. Actually, promoting goodwill, healing, growth, and wholeness. On the other hand, I know people who say they have certain feelings toward another person. They say, can't you see that I love you? At the same time, they treat the other person miserably, unfairly, and with no respect. Love is a fraud. It may be felt, but not acted on. Thomas, in what he talked about up here, is helping us to understand that love is an action based upon choice, not a feeling. If we choose to love and then act in loving ways, eventually the feeling of love follows. We'll talk more about this next week. And we'll also look in more detail exactly how we can manifest love to God in tangible ways. So let's move on now. The next thing is the next part of the great commandment. It's the Lord your God. You love and then the Lord your God. This tells us that the love Christ commands is, exclu is exclusive. We cannot love any God to fulfill the great commandment. Jesus was well aware of the plethora of gods and religions in the world when he spoke these words. And if there ever, ever were a time for him to be broad-minded, it was here. But here and elsewhere, Jesus excludes all other gods and all other ways. Jesus told the devil in his temptation, worship the Lord your God and serve him, serve only him, Matthew 4, verse 10. In the political correct day that we live in, it's considered rude to insist that the God of the Bible is the one true God. Yet Jesus made it very clear that we must worship the one true God alone and no other. Can we come to God by loving Buddha? No. For Isaiah declares, Thus saith the Lord, I am the first, I am the last. 
And beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44 verse 6. Can we come to God by loving Confucius? No. Notice that Jesus said in John 17 verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Can we come to God by loving Allah? No. For Paul assured there is one body and one spirit even as you're called in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6. Can we come to God by trusting anyone besides the Lord God? And through the mediatorship of any person or mediator in any religion besides the Son, Jesus Christ? No, because the Apostle Paul told Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, 1 Timothy 2.5. The love God commands is an exclusive love. Do you see that? In conclusion today, let me remind you again, your job description is to love God and people. First, we must love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And you may not know yet what all that entails, but for now, let me ask you an important question. Can you honestly say that as far as you know, Right now, you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. If not, why not? It could be because you have never come to Jesus for salvation. It's impossible to love someone you do not know. To properly love Jesus, you must first know Him as your Lord and Savior. And I invite you to do that this morning. Let me ask those of you who believe and follow Jesus, is there some sin that's hindering you, holding you back from loving God the way you should with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Because I love my wife, there are certain things I don't do because I know they displease the one I love. I avoid them because they hurt my relationship with her. And my love for her is too great to allow those things to come between Wanda and me. And there are certain things I avoid because I know that they steal my affection from her. I wonder if you have found another spiritual lover besides the Lord, is there something that steals your affection, keeps you from loving God the way He has commanded you to love Him here in His Word with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Father, we thank You today for this time together, and I pray that it would be a good study as we look at the great commandment, both Last Sunday, today, 
and the next two Sundays. And I pray your blessings on our Sunday school lessons, our Bible study lessons, as we continue this study. And I pray your blessings on the people that are listening. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you, and God bless.